Today is Friday, August 20th, 2021. And from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, this is Pennsylvania Legacies. I'm Josh Rollerson. In the vast majority of American cities, you can learn a lot about the average income and racial composition of a neighborhood by looking at its trees. Americans living in wealthier, predominantly white communities tend to enjoy more tree canopy than those living in lower income areas. That disparity is linked with higher temperatures, lower air quality, and associated health impacts, which in turn correspond to a whole range of negative outcomes for residents of tree-deprived communities. Historically, it all goes back to the discriminatory lending practice known as redlining, which effectively barred African-American families from buying homes in desirable areas throughout much of the 20th century. Tree Equity Score, a new initiative from American Forests, aims to visualize and quantify that disparity. The idea is to help planners more effectively and equitably allocate often limited funding for urban tree planting projects. So it's, it's more than just a number, it's a tool designed to really help identify at any given time where the biggest bang for your buck is. So it's a way to say, okay, where's the most impact for that dollar going to, to be in terms of saving lives, in terms of reducing respiratory illnesses, um, creating jobs, that sort of thing. We'll find out how Pennsylvania cities rate on the Tree Equity Index and what that means for environmental justice in the Commonwealth coming up. Scientists with the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change say the world is likely headed for temperature increases of at least 1.5 degrees Celsius by mid-century. It's the latest and starkest warning to date from the IPCC, and for the first time it highlights methane pollution as one of the biggest drivers of climate change. As the third largest natural gas producing state, Pennsylvania is a leading source of methane pollution and as such could deliver some of the biggest reductions. A proposed rulemaking by the Department of Environmental Protection would tighten emission controls for the oil and gas industry. Meanwhile, Congress has restored federal methane rules that had been rolled back under the Trump administration. For their part, Pennsylvanians are increasingly worried about climate. A recent Franklin and Marshall College poll shows 62 percent want the state to do more to address global warming. 59 percent of respondents attributed present-day problems like severe weather and flooding to climate change, and 39 percent say they've already been personally affected. All of those numbers are up from the previous FNM poll released in June. Pennsylvania could reap substantial benefits from the infrastructure bill that passed the U.S. Senate last week. Alongside funding for more traditional infrastructure items like roads, highways, and bridges, the bill would also designate billions of dollars for public transit, environmental cleanups, and supporting regions impacted by the declining coal industry. The package also includes a billion dollars for combating environmental challenges like harmful algal blooms and invasive species in the Great Lakes, including Lake Erie. $21 billion would be dedicated to dealing with abandoned oil and gas wells and Superfund sites. An additional $1 billion would go to the Appalachian Regional Commission, which invests in economic development projects in Appalachia, including projects in outdoor recreation and developing tourism around natural assets. The House is set to vote on the proposal next week. Philadelphia will test bus-only lanes on Market Street and John F. Kennedy Boulevard in Center City starting this week. SEPTA and PennDOT will run the pilot program jointly for 18 months. Transportation officials hope the bus-only lanes will reduce traffic congestion while increasing transportation equity. Robust public transportation systems are also important for cities that hope to lower their carbon footprints by reducing the number of cars on the road. According to the EPA, transportation accounts for the lion's share of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. Yeah. <laughs>
The Pennsylvania Game Commission has lifted its recommendation to stop feeding backyard birds. The cause of widespread bird deaths reported across Pennsylvania and other East Coast states this summer is still unknown. However, reports of sick and dead birds are declining. Researchers still have found no link to bird feeders or bats. The Game Commission still recommends disinfecting feeders and bird baths frequently to reduce the risk of spreading disease to congregating birds and other wildlife. Pennsylvania, Penn's Woods, is the only state with forest in its name. And despite three centuries of intermittent deforestation and negative environmental impacts from industrial activity, Pennsylvania is still one of the woodsiest states in the U.S., with trees covering more than 58% of its land. Throughout our history, trees have been a vital resource and a source of economic prosperity for Pennsylvania and Pennsylvanians. They're also critical to urban ecosystems, helping to keep neighborhoods cool, reducing air pollution, supporting biodiversity, and managing erosion and stormwater runoff. However, those benefits are not evenly distributed across the Commonwealth. New research from the group American Forests shows there are almost always fewer trees in low-income neighborhoods and in communities of color than there are in wealthier, whiter areas. That's even if the neighborhoods are within a few blocks of one another. The report, just out this summer, also identifies U.S. cities where investing in urban reforestation would deliver the biggest returns. And Philadelphia is near the top of that list. Peck's Lily Jones spoke with Ian Leahy, vice president of urban forestry at American Forests, about tree equity in Pennsylvania. Here's their conversation. Thank you so much, Ian, for joining us on Pennsylvania Legacies. If you want to get started by telling us what you do at American Forests um, and introducing tree equity, that would be awesome. Absolutely. I really appreciate you having me. So I'm the vice president of Urban Forestry at American Forests. Uh, we're an organization that's been around since 1875, working in urban environments for uh, over a century of that time. As we've been working in recent years, we've really honed in on this equity issue, this term we coined called tree equity, which really looks at the fact that you can fly over almost any city in the country and uh, you can tell where the wealthy areas are versus where the lower income areas are based on where tree canopy is. And uh, obviously, particularly as the climate is now undeniably warming and all the ramifications of that, it's, uh, these trees that were generally considered just background, nice to have, you know, when we were growing up are now transitioning by the circumstances into this really critical infrastructure. And particularly in lower income neighborhoods, uh, many uh, neighborhoods of people of color are um, just to, to provide that extra layer of protection uh, from the extreme heat and extreme weather. You recently came out with these tree equity scores um, and I was looking through the methodology that um, is on your website for how the scores are calculated and it seems pretty technical. Um, <laughs> so I was wondering if you could maybe walk me through um, how the scores were calculated. Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh... So the website's just treeequityscore.org. It's all free. You can go calculate uh, your neighborhood's uh, score. Go find your neighborhood score if you live in an area with 50,000 people or, or greater in the continental U.S. And there's a lot of mapping in the urban forestry world. And you know, we were so we were hesitant. We were like, what? You know, what? What? what what's really needed right now? And what we realized was that 
just maps alone, we're not really conveying that narrative strongly enough. So we try to figure out how can we simplify this down and take this really complex data and put it into something that someone can really process it in a snap in this busy world. And so that's where we came up with the idea of an index, a score on a scale of zero to 100. So we took uh, data such as uh, employment, income, age, ethnicity, surface temperature, um, and, and combined it with tree canopy data down to the parcel level, in some cases, the, uh, the neighborhood census block level. Um, we weighted all those and put them in, into the score. Um, and it's a really nuanced uh, calculation in that as socioeconomic dynamics change in an area, the value of planting a tree will, will adjust accordingly. So it's, it's more than just a number, it's a tool designed to really help identify at any given time where the biggest bang for your buck is. Uh, so it's a way to say, okay, where's the most impact for that dollar going to, to be in terms of saving lives, in terms of reducing respiratory illnesses, um, creating jobs, that sort of thing. What sorts of jobs um, come out of urban forestry and planting new trees? Yeah, it's a, it's a wider spectrum than people realize. Uh, so, so the most direct is getting trees in the ground and uh, very importantly, taking care of those trees, you know, people being able to climb, climb up in the trees, uh, public sector and private sector jobs. But there's also the planning side, there's the GIS side, you know, there's, there's a whole wide skill set for people who maybe don't want to be in the field every day, uh, but still are passionate about it. You know, how do you design, how do you transform a vacant lot, for example, what, what, you know, the community engagement aspect of it, you know, getting the history of a community and telling that story through that space. Um, so yeah, so what we've, we found is, you know, there's a potential to create or support, you know, over 3 million jobs if we uh, achieve tree equity nationwide in every neighborhood. And that doesn't mean three, over 3 million urban forestry jobs, but it's, it's jobs that are direct, but also, you know, going to buy that sandwich at lunch, you know, that's, that's a job that's supported by those investments. Right. So it's a little broader and kind of a bit of a ripple effect. Yep, exactly. And they're not they're jobs that can't be outsourced, right? Like someone has to be in that location taking care of those trees. I was wondering if you could also go a bit more into the Pennsylvania-specific results for the tree equity score. You had noted that Philadelphia was one of the cities that could potentially achieve some of the greatest benefits from increasing their tree equity. Um, so that might be a good place to start. Absolutely. Um, so I recently wrote an article uh, with the New York Times uh, where we featured uh, Philadelphia as a, as a data story and because um, it has such an extreme uh, example of where you know, the example we used was uh, Chestnut Hill, which has an average income of about 133,000 and 60% uh, tree canopy versus a uh, nice town Tioga, which has an average income of about $37,000 a year and only 6% tree canopy. Um, you know, just they're about five miles apart. And, uh, and then there's a whole redlining we can talk about later. But, but generally speaking, Philadelphia overall has, has a, doesn't have a low overall score. Uh, that's generally true for a lot of cities. It has a score overall of 83 uh, out of 100. But but where you, when you really dig into uh, communities of, of color and communities with high poverty, you see um, 
just a direct line straight straight down from the wealthier areas to the lower lower income areas. Uh, communities of color have almost five percent less tree canopy cover. Uh, communities of poverty have about seven percent less. Um, and, you know, and that 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 leads to uh, a need for about one point five million more trees in Philadelphia. Um, and there's groups doing a lot of great work, like uh, Pennsylvania Horticulture Society and the state uh, urban community forestry uh, coordinator. Uh, so, so everyone's aware of these these, uh, these needs, but it's really just, again, focusing those resources most directly. Um, and then you, you can get into different cities like um, like Harrisburg, for example, um, Scranton. Uh, Scranton is a really extreme example where uh, communities of Communities of color have 16% less tree canopy uh, cover, and there's almost a 20% tree canopy difference for high poverty neighborhoods versus the wealthiest neighborhoods. Um, and then Pittsburgh is kind of a an outlier a little bit, but it's, it's it's important to note that these are these are general trends and not absolutes. Like Pittsburgh is still dealing with the same overall issues, but given their uh, geography with the steep hillsides that uh, that can't be developed. There is just a natural protection of more tree canopy, so so it distorts the, the data a little bit on that front. But there's still, generally speaking, that same same trend. You mentioned briefly, sort of the history of why these inequities exist. Could you give me a little bit of background there? Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, so redlining is uh, kind of the most obvious example, but they're broader just inequities in investment. But redlining was a federal practice that uh, where banks were given a map of you know, neighborhoods that were high risk and low risk. And, and the US Forest Service recently did a study that found that there's a direct relationship today with where the trees are and where the, or the, where the lack of trees are and where neighborhoods were redlined or disinvested. And while that was focused primarily on mortgages for housing, it spilled over into infrastructure, into healthcare. You can find these, these patterns all throughout. Uh, so we, we call those legacy landscapes. Uh, and you know these are often denser areas to begin with, so you know overcoming that um, that lack of tree canopy, it's not just necessarily just putting a nice little tree in a big open park. You know a lot of times you have to deal with competing infrastructures, uh, underground and above ground. Uh, you know, maybe removing concrete to create space that wasn't there before. Uh, so it's gets complicated. Recently, um, the. IPCC report came out and Pennsylvania also put out its own um, climate impacts report and one of the big things that has been mentioned kind of everywhere has been issues about heat um, and you mentioned how trees can help manage heat. In, in what other ways can trees help us deal with issues that we'll experience from climate change or might already be experiencing? Yeah. Like on the heat one, you know, you can have 10 degrees difference uh, during the day, 22 degrees at night. So, um, you know, you're dealing with a situation where the body doesn't have time to cool down and um, it just creates, you know, significant long-term health, health impacts overall. And, you know, these are neighborhoods where people might not be able to afford air conditioning or they're working outside all day, uh, those situations. Um, and then we're dealing with flooding and, uh, you know, trees obviously are, are filtering that stormwater Tree Equity Score provides uh, ecosystem ca system calculations based on the Forest Service's iTree uh, tool, and uh, and you can see exactly like how many trees you want to plant versus you know like what that 
sort of ecosystem services that's going to provide. Um, so they're, you know, they're intercepting that water, uh, slowing it down, absorbing it all together, and, you know, most importantly, filtering it before it uh, goes into the sewer system and back into the, the, uh, the waterways. Um, and then there's the, the lower energy uh, bill, lower energy usage in general. Like right now, it's calculated that uh, tree canopy reduces our energy usage 7.2%. Uh, uh, so what that means is kind of a non-point uh, dynamic. So you're maybe shading a, a building, a home. What you're really doing is reducing that need to generate uh, energy at the, at the coal power plant, you know, on the other side of town, perhaps. Um, and then there's these more abstract psychological benefits that come with it. Um, well, I should mention, you know, the respiratory illness. Um, is, we're talking about like 12,000 people die a year from heat-related illnesses and um, so it's really lowering that death rate. You know, we, it's critical to really think of urban tree canopy as a life-saving infrastructure and, you know, not just nice to have. Um, yeah, so, so then back to that psychological benefits, you're dealing with fewer sick days, you have, you know, lower crime rates they found in well-maintained uh, green spaces with tree canopy. You know, people spend more time outside, so there's more eyes in the community, more social cohesion. Um, and, you know, students even do better in school. So, it's kind of a unique infrastructure in that way. And it's a living beings, you know, there's a collection of living beings that are, you know, having these really dynamic interactions with us. Um, is there any proposed legislation on the federal or state level that would help address issues of tree equity or inequity? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So American Forest, we are, we, a lot of our work is in federal policy. Um, and we've never seen this much interest and motivation across the aisle. Uh, like it just kind of triggered the, this, uh, this idea of trees in cities as a valuable investment. Um, so, so there are a number of big legislation, pieces of legislation working through. Um, we're helping coordinate a, a group called the uh, Trees for Community Recovery with like Trust for Public Land and Urban Drawdown Initiative, um, Urban Sustainability Directors Network, Davy Tree, and we're trying to get about $4 billion annually invested in urban forests. We've, uh, we've long undersold like our need as a, as a field of, you know, how much investment we really need. So we really need to be dealing in the billions of dollars uh, spread out nationwide, uh, big cities, small cities, uh, smaller communities that don't have, you know, great nonprofits doing their work. They really need these external investments. And uh, so a couple pieces of specific legislation like the Shade Act, um, which is saving hazardous and declining environments. Um, looking to invest, uh, the, the Trees Act is get, really working through the Department of Energy to get about 300,000 trees a year in the ground and, and taken care of. So that'd be about a $50 million investment through that. The infrastructure bill that's in the news is a huge opportunity uh, to really, you know, just again, think of, think of this as critical infrastructure, just like streets and sewers and, and all that sort of thing. Um, and then just in general, urban and community forestry program uh, within the Forest Service, we're really working to uh, get that, that budget bumped up. You know, they do, they support a lot of the state programs, uh, including Pennsylvania, and uh, they do a lot of technical and research support. So really trying to build that capacity. Uh, yeah, you know, we just think it's really out of it's generally in the 30 to 40 million dollar a year range. So it's a very small program, 
but it's serving over 80% of the American population. So that's like over 200 million people on a shoestring budget. So really trying to get that those numbers more, more aligned. While people are waiting for um, legislation to move, is there anything that residents of cities can do to increase local tree canopy? Or is this something you're really trying to work with more on the higher policy level? No, it's all hands on deck. That's uh, kind of the beauty and the opportunity here is, uh, you know, residents can, you know, go look at their trachea score, go, you know, plant trees uh, and make, you know, to buy the right tree for the right space, you know, get, get expert uh, input on, on what, what trees should go where. But, uh, you know, advocate you can do at the community level uh, you can do it this you know making sure your, your city leaders are, are aware of this as a critical need um and then you know yeah getting up to you know advocating at the state level and uh and making sure your federal representatives know this is a priority for you and for your community sort of going broader again um what are the challenges and opportunities for cities to achieve greater tree equity, um, again, with a focus on Pennsylvania, if you can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I mentioned earlier, density is a big issue, you know, like, you know cities like uh, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, they're, they're dense, and, and uh, so getting trees in the, built into that is, is critical. The funding issue is very critical. Um, Perceptions and resistance. Uh, community engagement is one of those critical aspects of it. You know, when you're looking at, you can't just come in and you know show up on a Tuesday morning and start plowing trees in the ground necessarily. You want to make sure that people have input. You know, there might be something that looks great on a map. Uh, you know, nice open space, but you talk to the residents and they're like, "Oh, that's a you know pickup soccer game that happens every Saturday morning there." And you know, it's a real community bonding moment and we don't want trees there. So then, you know, you find somewhere else that's going to make more sense from a community perspective. Um, yeah, I think, you know, it's just really prioritizing this. A lot of times the arborists, uh, this urban foresters of a city are not at the decision-making table when the big decisions are being made for projects and, and budgeting. So they kind of get the, hey, we have these spaces over here. Can you put some trees in them after the fact? So it's really getting you know, those experts at the table so that they can inform design and, and decision-making from the very beginning. Are there plans to expand um, to other smaller cities? I know you had to prioritize somehow based on size. Yeah, we're actually, uh, yes, we're, we're looking to, so basically it's divided right now. As I said, there's 50,000 or greater population, but there's this other um, designation from 2,500 people to just under 50,000 uh, population. And so we're looking to expand to that now so we can get down to these smaller communities. And uh, what we're doing in that sense is looking at, they might not have the same metrics, they might not, or the same needs, it might not be an urban heat island they're dealing with, it might be, um, you know, stormwater runoff. There's, there's going to be a community gathering, input gathering to see, you know, what, what data sets are really going to be most valuable for those smaller communities. Wonderful. Um, is there anything else you would like to add about um, the tree equity score or um, the work you do um, in general? Well, just yeah, reiterate the tree equity score is totally free. It's it's unprecedented. We partnered with Earth Define to do a uh, to create this national layer, so it's 
You know, one of the big equity hurdles we've always had is wealthier communities, larger communities have been able to invest in sophisticated data. So it just, you know, creates this dynamic state-of-the-art tool with leading edge uh, data layers that, uh, you know, every city, every community can, can utilize from you know, the wealthiest to the, the lowest income, from the biggest to the smallest. That's our own Lily Jones speaking with Ian Leahy, Vice President of Urban Forestry for the group American Forests, which has published the Tree Equity Score about tree equity in Pennsylvania and across the nation. You can learn more about it by visiting their website. We'll link it in the episode description for today's episode. You can find it, as always, at peckpa.org, P-E-C-P-A org, along with all of our past podcast episodes and more information on the latest from PECS outdoor recreation, energy and climate, communities and landscapes, and other programs protecting and restoring Pennsylvania's environmental legacy. You can follow us on Twitter at PECPA. We're on Facebook and Instagram too. Find us there and be sure to check back for the next podcast episode coming your way in just about two weeks. Until then, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council and for Lily Jones, I'm Josh Rollerson. And thanks for listening.